Hello and welcome to the Tilt Vibe podcast, the joy of fundraising, where we focus on all things fundraising in both the live streaming and general philanthropic space. I am your host, Daniel I. Casper Bong. I am the community manager for Tiltify. And as always, joining us for episode number five is our lovely co-host, Miss Maggie Draskia. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. For episode number five, we are talking about going industry side, the day in the life of a charity community manager. It is quite a topic because we're going to be talking about just going industry side in general. We're going to be talking about charities in particular and working with them and what's that like and what it's not like and kind of breaking some of those misconceptions. We know that it's a very difficult time right now, especially because during the time of this recording, the world is going through a pandemic. So many charities are just struggling right now to try and figure out how they can actually fundraise, how they can activate and how they can do that when they can't be live and in person and do their normal run walks or galas or anything like that. So so many charities are kind of rushing into this digital space, which is honestly a good thing because in the long run, they should already be there, I feel. But before we talk about this topic too much, we should introduce our special guest. Uh, we do have the community manager and influencer relations of To Write Love on Her Arms, James Plague TV Inks. Welcome to the podcast. What's going on, Daniel? Hey, Maggie. Thanks for having me here, guys. Uh, yeah, I'm James with To Write Love on Her Arms. It's a mouthful. We just say Tuloha. <laughs> but the uh, organization's uh, main goal, is, as concisely as I can state it, is we look to present help and hope to people that are struggling with thoughts of suicide, self-harm, addiction, or depression. So it's a broad mandate. One thing that's unique about our organization is that we don't provide primary services. Our goal is to be the bridge to help for people. We believe that stigma costs lives. We believe that starting conversations about mental health is extremely intimidating and difficult for people. And so we're trying to break that stigma and bridge people to the help that they need. That's the core of our organization. Yeah. And it's a, it's a great organization because I remember, and Maggie, I'm not sure if you can relate, but it was founded in about 2006 and I was in high school and I just, I remember I was going through a tough time. I was struggling with things like depression and even about to suicide, right? And suicidal thoughts. It was a, it was a very scary time for me. And then I remember seeing this movement on that amazing website that totally still exists called MySpace, which was to write love on her arms. James, can you talk a little bit about that kind of beginning of Tuola? Yeah, so the organization started from a blog post, a story that was written on MySpace by our founder, Jamie Torkowski, oh, Torkowski, gosh, Jamie Torkowski, <laughs> <laughs> uh, who wrote about his friend Renee and her story of getting into rehab and recovering from addiction. That story basically took off on MySpace and became the founding of the organization. Originally, the, they sold t-shirts with the title of the story, which was to write love on her arms to raise money for her, more or less to help her through rehab. The story itself is short, but intense. Jamie and a few friends basically lived with Renee for two weeks. She tried to check into rehab. She had drugs in her system. She had open wounds on her arms. They wouldn't let her into rehab until she was clean, stable enough to be admitted without being a liability. And so Jamie was in a group of folks that basically lived with Renee for two weeks and helped her get clean enough to go into rehab uh, to start her journey. That's the original founding of the organization. A couple of things come out of that. You know, the organization's founding is about storytelling. 
basically. We believe that people talking about their stories and being open and honest about their stories helps inspire others to seek help if they need it. Yeah. And I mean, that's the entire basis of this episode, because I felt it would be important for us to kind of share our stories about going to the industry side and what kind of got us here, because I feel like everyone has such a beautiful story to share. And we'll get to that. We'll we'll get to that. But let's start with James in particular, because you're a special guest. I would love to know your story <laughs> and your upbringing kind of in terms of content creation, because I know you started there before you went industry side. So how did uh, yeah. your childhood kind of shape this for you? Games for me go back a long time. So I, I work two jobs. I have a dual rule. So in the daytime, I work in an investment job, but it was actually RuneScape of all games that inspired oh. my interest in the investment nice. world, which nobody, yeah. And then later on, it would be the, the WoW auction house. But of course. Perfect. Um, the, yeah, there you go. But the economies, the stock markets, right, right. of video games, their exchanges uh, got me interested in real world economics. That's what I went on to study and, and what I do during the day today. When I was younger, definitely struggled with a lot of loneliness and depression, was bullied a lot and gaming was an escape for me. And I don't know that I really thought of it as more than that until much, much later on in my life until maybe 2016 is when that started to change. I feel like anyone that's listening, at least a majority of them can really relate to that, especially with video games in particular, because we have a big audience that is content creators. And I feel like so many of them went to content creation in particular as an escape. Uh, Maggie, was that kind of the situation for you, do you think? Definitely. Becoming a content creator was my way of connecting with people. I've got three kids and I'm home all the time. I work from home. Back then I was just doing art, but becoming a content creator allowed me to create a space for myself and for people that wanted to participate in whether it was games or art or just hanging out or whatever. It's It was an amazing opening. Yeah. And for myself, some people don't know this because they relate me to the Twitch streamer of seven and a half, now eight years or almost eight years. But I actually did vlogging before that on YouTube and it's super embarrassing. You need to find those. They are, <laughs> they are super embarrassing. There's actually some videos back then that got a decent viewership. Like we're talking like 50 60 000 views before i took them down um Aww. yeah it was bad like it was it was low quality just i remember this one <laughs> this one memory just as an aside which really kind of made me realize wow what i'm doing is really stupid but it makes me feel really good uh was i was doing a vlog and i don't even remember the topic and this was 2008 or 2009. So I was like first year of college. I asked my dad for help because I kept trying to film it myself, but it was so hard to because I wanted to do something slightly action-y. So I went up to my dad and my dad is fairly old at the time. I think he was like 57. Now he's he's almost 70. So and I went up to my dad. I was like, Dad, can you do me a favor for my Internet thing that you don't approve of? And he's like, sure. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, will you take this basketball and throw it at my face? <gasps> and <laughs> and I, this video is gone? <laughs> uh, I still have this video. I know exactly Ooh. where to find it. Uh, maybe we'll share it later. But <laughs> I remember just we're filming it and I told him exactly when to do it. Right. A keyword. And then <laughs> he throws it, hits me across the face <gasps> and he just starts <laughs> laughing. He, he laughs so hard. And it was at that moment that, number one, I think my dad is kind of okay with me being a creator. And number two, uh, if he gets to throw more stuff at me, he'll definitely be okay with it. Of so, course. Yeah, so, sure. Yeah. So then we just started <laughs> trying to create more reasons for him to get involved with my videos. And unfortunately, I stopped vlogging. It was just, it was a lot of effort doing that as well as college. But 
that was definitely an escape for me because again, 2006 was when I was struggling throughout high school. When I got to college though, uh, my outlet was definitely content creation. So that's kind of how I feel about that. But James, can we start talking about how you got involved? Because you got involved with video games. That was kind of your escape, kind of your bridge into yeah. this content creation world. Can we talk briefly or not so briefly about your content creation and then uh, <laughs> your involvement with uh, To Write Love on Our Arms? Uh, yeah, for sure. We can. It, it's, I'll give you the concise version of the story uh, if there is one. Um, <laughs> so when you go into 2016, this is 2016. So however long ago that is now, four years ago, I was kind of working my, my office job in investment finance, the same one that I still have now. But I had finished up the series of finance exams that were absorbing a massive amount of time. And I was also in a relationship for like five years that ended. And so I had like massive amounts of time all of a sudden. It was like, what do I do? Right. So I was watching a lot of Counter-Strike and found my way to Twitch through that eventually and was just intrigued by it, wanted a creative outlet and just started broadcasting. Right. It was all FPS stuff, I think exclusively Counter-Strike at first and then branched out from there had a couple of different projects, but what was happening was the finance and investment side of my brain was starting to turn at the same time that I was creating content. And I don't know that I, I had any ambitions of being, you know, a large content creator, but what was happening in my head is I was like, man, there's so much opportunity in this space to do entrepreneurial things. And I don't know what yet. I don't think it's me in front of a camera but I've got to start to figure it out, right? And so I started trying to consult for places, going to as many as many conventions as I could with the intention of meeting as many people as I could and learning as much as I could. I mean, that's kind of the origin story of it. My, uh, I don't know if this is encouraging or, or maybe <laughs> the opposite of that to people, but the first, the first, like, I would say, I want to call it a job, except for I lost money instead of getting paid. So it's not really a job. First gig. <laughs> was DreamHack Atlanta. And it would have been the first time it was in Atlanta. So I think that was 16. Yeah. Maybe maybe early 17. I can't remember. Total disaster. Was <laughs> consulting for a client that oh, no. was the like the police literally removed some of their staff from the event. I'm pretty sure they're <gasps> like banned from the event by DreamHack. I Daniel, was you there. probably know part of I the story. I was there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So I don't think that we, I don't know that, did you and I meet there? I know I met Santa there. Anyway. Yeah and a bunch of other people uh, at that event. But for me, it was a, a freaking total nightmare, just a disaster, lost money on it. I was working with the wrong people, just a mess, like heck of a way to get introduced to the organization. So, but a funny thing has happened that since that initial experience, all of the relevant good that's happened to me since then came out of people that I met at that event. Had I not been there as much of a wreck as that was, I, I wouldn't be where I am today. So that's that's my origin story in the industry. But yeah, I mean, the, the idea was to try and to leave a mark on the gaming industry, to bring something positive into the industry in, in any way that I could. That was the original mission. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's an example of failing to succeed or you got to oh, fail man. first before you succeed. I mean... <sighs> I, content creators face this all the time, right? Where they don't have the secret sauce. They don't necessarily know what they're yeah. doing. Sometimes they have to try many things before you find that success. And for me, when I started content creation in particular, so seven and a half years ago, it was 
the Binding of Isaac and playing this one game and knowing that this is where I'm going to get my viewership because it was starting to grow and explode because of bigger influencers playing the game as well. And I was be able, I, I was able to like pseudo ride on their coattails a little bit, but as the sure. community grew, they started to look for alternatives for from these bigger influencers. So that was kind of how I grew. Maggie, in terms of your content creation, how did you end up growing in that sense? How did you uh, get your foot into content creation first? Actually, it was through my art. I was drawing one day and somebody came into my channel. I didn't know who they were. I didn't know that they were a partner. I didn't know the group that they were with. And they were like, we love what you're doing. Can you draw like this for all of the people in our group? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Next thing I know, I'm getting hosted. I'm getting like just tons of people in my channel. And it turns out it was every member of the Build Guild, uh, which was a Minecraft community at the time. <laughs> I had no idea who they were. And their communities scooped me up and gave me a giant internet hug. And that's how I got started. Yeah, I mean, the Build Guild in particular, for folks that don't know kind of the history of Twitch, because Build Guild has kind of been mm -hmm, MIA mm -hmm. for a while. They came back very recently, actually. But they were huge. They were they were some of the biggest mm -hmm. Twitch streamers for for Minecraft. Like, we're talking about, like, the big boys, like, Sevedis yep. back in the day. And that's just... <laughs> To get noticed by a group like that is kind of insane. I mean, for me, I guess it was similar. I was uh, I was content creating back in 2012, and uh, I got partnered in January 2014. But in that 2013 era, that's kind of where I started to meet people and network. When I was going to PAX events, I went to my very first PAX event that year in 2013, PAX East, or sorry, PAX West. And I remember I actually just, I was a kid, I didn't have much money, so I was trying to find ways to kind of save money going to this event. Because I felt like going to events were important, and especially back then, it was so much more important than today, uh -huh. I feel. Uh -huh. um, but when I went to PAX West, I ended up staying in the same house as Lethal Frag, who nice. is really big influencer and I got to stay with him as well as Tamorag. That was my first time really directly interacting with him who is now, you know, my partner in crime when it comes to running a broadcasting team main menu. But I met them all there and it was because of those opportunities that I made from meeting people at PAX West. I got my name out there. I got partnered shortly after and, you know, the rest was kind of history from there. Moving forward when I started to go through the process of growing as a content creator. And I got to a semi-decent size, I would say, you know, I was able to make more than minimum wage. I was able, I was completely out of debt. I owned my apartment complex, or not the complex, my the apartment unit. Thing. The whole thing. Yes, <laughs> I'm actually it. rich. Uh, no, but I owned my apartment unit completely out of debt, and I'm starting to save and save a lot of money. It was around that time where it was 2016, that seems like a pivotal year for everyone. Uh, 2016, yeah. I was given an opportunity because my girlfriend at the time wanted to go to college, but she was an international student, so school cost $20,000 a semester. So for per year, for four years, you know, that's $40,000. That's hundred and sixty grand that we're looking at over four years or so. She wasn't eligible for any uh, student loans or anything like that. She was only eligible for the occasional scholarship. So I was looking at my content creation, and I said to myself, I don't think I can make enough to support this, but I want to support you as a person, uh, you know, even if we don't last forever or whatever the case may be. I was pretty confident we would at the time, though, so that that was on my back. But I got an opportunity because because of my charity work. So I had been doing my own charity event for three or four years now at that point, and I had always been supporting other charity events through my broadcasting team. We did a bunch of things as well. And because of that, this small startup like company called tiltify they started getting into the space 
2015, the first TwitchCon, that was their first kind of like public activation that people could see them at. And people were like, well, what the heck is this? I don't know. So I ended up not talking to them at that event, even though I was very charity-esque. I was just pretty busy that event overall. But they reached out to Twitch and they asked them if they had any suggestions on people that might be a fit for Tiltify because they're looking to hire a front-facing person for the company. And the number one person they that they suggested was me. And that was because of me making that connection with them both at PAX events over the years, becoming an established partner, and doing my own charity events. It, it really came down to there's no one else we trust more in this position for this company than Casper. So they decided to interview me. They gave me that opportunity. And, you know, when it came down to it, I took it even though my streaming was taking off. And I felt like I could have succeeded as a big influencer. I, I really do, uh, looking back at it. But ultimately, I needed the money at that moment. And plus, it was for charity, right? I came to content creation because I want to make a difference in the world. And this was my step back into that. So I took the job. And uh, I've been there for four years now. And it's been it's been insane, just the amount of good that we've been able to do. And Maggie, you're starting to feel it being on the charity side for the mm -hmm. past year. Uh, mm -hmm. can, you, can you talk about your past year? Because you had your job beforehand, so we can start there. Yes. When you uh, kind of pseudo-left content creation a little bit, kind of, sort of. I'll let you oh, speak I about did. that. I'll let you I speak about content that. Well, thank you. I left content creation for a year to work social media for Microsoft, for Mixer. And my time with them came to an end. And I was very lucky to be able to work with Tiltify as their social media coordinator. So for a year now, I've been able to see all of the good that's done, all of the fun, all of the happy, all of the celebrations and the tears and the pies and faces. It's been amazing, actually, being able to see all of the good that Tiltify, well, I want to say like funnels through Tiltify, essentially. It's been amazing. It's been phenomenal. And the best thing about that is that we kind of threw you right into the fire because yes. <laughs> when we when we hired Maggie, it was the summer of last year, basically, uh, right around that time. And we we're like, OK, so uh, we've got TwitchCon coming up and that's a major yeah. activation for us. Also, this Amelia Clark thing came up and we're yeah. going to have you go there. <laughs> and actually do social from the event and just it was amazing it was uh that is quite the way to start in tiltify because i didn't think i i didn't do a celebrity activation like that until 2019 yeah so it was three years for me so i could warm up to the idea of being professional and you know not <laughs> being professional yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. i had to be professional or else <laughs> yeah right. i didn't have to be an or else uh, uh -huh. so, that was great um but you handled it very well and i'm very proud Thank of you. you to take a moment a personal moment for a second there um but uh james how about you because we talked about your entry into into the industry but let's talk oh, about yeah. Tuala in particular how we got where we are today? Wow. Yeah. All right. So that original project, um, that was a complete nightmare at DreamHack. So that took a couple of different forms, right? It went from what we were up to, what we were really trying to do was help um, small market developers find a way to market themselves where they didn't have to go to a publisher. The idea was, you know, a publisher... This is changing thanks to Epic Game Store, by the way, shouts to them. Um, but the common thing to do by, for publishers at the time was that you would take the intellectual property from the dev, you would fund them, but then the dev lost the IP, the revenue shares were kind of garbage. I never liked it because most of 
a game's sales are happening in the first few months after launch. So why are you selling your intellectual property to someone when really most of the work's being done in a small window? So I was trying to do like a publisher light type business, realized that I just didn't have the network for it. I hadn't, haven't been at the time, haven't now, I was really naive back then, um, hadn't been at the industry long enough to have the network to do that. And so I learned the hard way, right? Lost a lot of money and time doing it. And then I was sitting and thinking about what to do next having known a lot more, right? Having then a couple of years of experience of failing, but learning a lot while failing. And then I was like, okay, what, what am I good at, right? What do I have enough experience to do? What am I knowledgeable enough of where I can go to another company and add some value? And I was like, there are so many companies that should be doing stuff in gaming that aren't right now. At the same time, I was coming to terms with a so uh, we lost a fraternity brother of mine to suicide in 2014 it was a really good friend of mine uh, we graduated from our undergraduate in 2012 his name's grant and when that happened in 2014 i didn't internalize it really right away like it happened and i kind of ignored it for a few years but it came back to me for some reason it was just on my mind at the same time that I was dealing with kind of a lot of loneliness myself and a lot of thoughts of failure because I couldn't figure out how to do stuff in gaming, productive things in gaming, right, as a career. So that was all coming to a head together. And then I remembered there was a news article I saw. This is what it was. There was a news article I saw about Warp Tour being canceled, like Warp Tour totally being called off. Mm -hmm. And all of that stuff came together. And it reminded me of the Two Right Love on Our Arms brand, because that's where I knew Two Right Love from, was from the punk rock scene and the Warp Tour scene. Mm -hmm. And so all of those things converged at once. And I was like, oh my God, the Two Right Love brand is perfect for gaming. It's perfect for this industry. They should be on Twitch. They should be doing stuff in this market. And now that Warp Tour is gone and kind of the pop punk era has died off to a large extent, I bet their calendar has space to do stuff in gaming, right? And so I literally sent them a cold email. Uh, I was like, hey, my name is James. I want to do a fundraiser for you on this platform called Twitch. And here's what it is and why it matters, whatever. At the time, they weren't on Tiltify yet. So I did the thing that nobody should ever do, where I took donations and then forwarded them to the organization. Don't do that. <laughs> this is why I, every charity needs to be on Tiltify. But so it did it, uh, ran two pilot campaigns for them that were fairly successful. I think we raised $15,000 on the two campaigns, and it was enough that it got their attention. They were like, who is this guy? Like This guy came out of the woodwork and then you know, raised over 10 grand for us in fairly short order. And so they started to have more serious conversations with me about it. And that's what brought the organization to Tiltify through Santa, who I had met back at, back at DreamHack ATL, right? I kind of told him, you know, we, I need your help getting these guys on Tiltify. And uh, eventually that, that worked its way to you and the rest of the team, I think, in some, some shape, some way, shape or form um, and yeah. got it there. But that's the origin story with, with Two Right Love. Yeah, I remember I remember those conversations now because Josh Santa, he's he's always been a proponent of to write love and uh he loves the apparel. He wears it all the time. I get very jealous yeah, because he, does. he oh my goodness, he's got like twenty shirts or something, and I see him in a different <laughs> one every time. I remember uh we were just at PAX East before the quarantine and yep. he was wearing like a different to write love hoodie every day. <laughs> and I'm just like, Man, this is it's so nice. It, like you, you guys got the apparel, you guys got this brand. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like, 
Um, the difference between uh, to write love versus almost any other charity out there is that you do have this apparel side, you do have this brand side yeah. because, like you said, it was at Warp Tour and Warp Tour. It's mm -hmm. it's music. It's what do they want? Well, they want shirts. They want all this merch. Yeah. They want all that stuff. It is. I mean, it goes back to the the origin story of the organization. Like the original funding source of the organization was selling T-shirts that had the name of the blog post on them, right? And so we've kept that. If you visit our headquarters in near Orlando, Florida, it's in Melbourne, Florida. It's a it's a clothing warehouse. It's a merch warehouse. I mean, we do uh, selling merch is as important to us as any of the fundraising we do. Not because it, not only because it funds what the organization does, but we can put the message out in public right in a very real and authentic way that makes sense all the way back to the beginning of our organization so yeah we love the merch gotta yeah. plug the merch always plug the merch yeah, you always have <laughs> to plug the merch and especially in this case just because it does benefit charity of course and uh, bridging yeah, that absolutely. gap uh it is uh it is beautiful merch by the way i have <laughs> i have i have clothing and merch as well i was trying to find actually the shirt that i uh, got way back when, uh, like when I was in high school and it was just, oh, yeah. I remember begging my parents to borrow their credit card and to mm -hmm. actually order it. Like that's, that's such a powerful thing. You know, you, you're such yeah. a brand, uh, and there's so there's brand loyalty. And of course, as creators, sure. we know that, but with Tuola, it, it's like, you're a charity, but you're also a brand. So right. I want to wear this brand, but it's got a beautiful message and it just, it all melts together into kind of like this happy little family uh yeah. situation that you have so no that's I, I love this conversation about brand too because part of a lot of the initial conversations with to right love uh, when it when it was when it went from more than okay we have you know james doing fundraisers for us too we want to roll this out into an influencer program it was how do we introduce this brand that we already have into the gaming space. And that's hard. Yeah. That's hard for a lot of not-for-profits because it's a, for, for most folks working in the not-for-profit world, this is a totally new, we take it for granted because we've been involved with Twitch for too long. And so this is just the world we live in. Uh, and this is our reality. But when you think about, you know, a marketing director at a not-for-profit that has never done anything on YouTube or has never done anything on Twitch, it's a totally new arena. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, we see that all the time, like uh, Maggie and myself, uh, we we know so many organizations that barely have a, a handle on uh, social media, even yeah. like just like, how do you develop that? How do you how do you talk about it? How do you talk about yourselves? And how do you bring people in? Uh, the number one question that I get on the sales side, as well as community side from charities is, how do we get influencers involved? And it's like, well, a big part of it is brand identity, and just being able to be like, well, we look at your organization, we already know what you are, because that is how powerful your mission and your message has been over the years. So some charities don't have the advantage of being a huge organization or a long standing organization. But a lot of them still have the message that they should dive into, like if it's animal shelters, or if it's, you know, mental health, that's a really big one as sure. well, or uh, cancer research, things like that. So I think uh, charities definitely need to do a little bit of a better job in terms of building that uh, message, especially if they're jumping into this digital world, uh, as we're seeing so vastly right now with this pandemic that's currently going on. So, right. Yeah. But let's let's switch gears, because what we just talked about there actually has a lot to do with kind of our last topic that we're jumping into, which I wanted to kind of outline a day in the life of a community management influencer relations individual uh, because uh, Maggie has seen that in terms of social and on the social side of things, uh, mm -hmm. I have seen that uh, from the community side. Uh, but James, you're kind of our resident expert. What are what is a day in the life of a uh, influencer relations? 
person uh, kind of look like? So a lot of it, it's all situational, right? Because it depends on sort of how integrated the rest of the not-for-profit is with the Twitch world and how large Twitch, the Twitch Mixer YouTube world is to the overall fundraising goal of the organization, right? And so how busy you are aren't has a lot to do with that. I mean, for me, it's a lot of trying to understand what our core influencers, the people that typically fundraise for us um, on a regular basis are up to that year. Most influencers will only do, you know, call it two fundraisers a year. And so understanding, okay, I know this person's doing um, play live, right? So I'm going to leave them alone because I know that they're doing play live for St. Jude coming up soon, but I know that I can work with them for World Suicide Prevention Day in September. And so a lot of it is kind of managing that calendar in your head a little bit to know who to reach out to and which content creators to kind of leave alone for a little while, right? Like, okay, they just did a fundraiser for us, right? Let them focus on something else for a little while, or I know they, I know that this content creator always does play live. So I'm not going to ask them to do mental health month with us. That kind of juggling act is a lot of what you're doing. Um, and then it's, it's just straight up surprise and delight stuff, right? If I can randomly send someone that I haven't had a connection with for a while merchandise, or if I can get an email out or send a text messages, it's, it's tons of relationship management points where you're just trying to be available and be thankful as a not-for-profit organization that content creators have lent their platform to you at some point in time, whether it was recent or not. That is a lot of it. Um, outside of that side of things, it's thinking about the next event that you have coming up. In Two Right Love's case, uh, it's been, I, I don't know that we've announced that it's been postponed yet, but it, it will be. Uh, we have a, had a run walk uh, that we do every year and it's a 5K run walk event that we do in Orlando, Florida. But the next iteration of that is tying a speed running event onto that, right? That is on um, Twitch and Mixer. And so your role in that being kind of the person on the staff that came from this world is helping them design that campaign, right? How do we add a digital version of a physical event on uh, in a way that feels authentic and right for the Twitch universe and the Mixer universe. So a lot of that strategic planning is, is your role as well. But it, it's different everywhere, right? Titles in gaming get so screwed up. Like, like I'll call myself influencer relations, but I'm as much of a consultant in strategic planning as much as I do influencer relations stuff, right? Maybe even more sometimes. So your day-to-day -day can be... Uh, can be a little bit random, but I think that's fun. I mean, for me, that's rewarding. I, I like being able to do that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree because uh, I was just giving a presentation, actually an internal presentation to a company that shall not be named so I don't get in trouble. But at that internal presentation, I was like, well, I'm the community manager for Tiltify and I have been for four years, but here's everything else I've also done for this company right, because- right. But you're it's, also producing content right now. Yeah, and it's <laughs> it's a different uh, role. <laughs> it's uh, there's so many different hats that you wear, and especially when you're going industry side, that's just something that you kind of have to accept. Because yes, you're applying and you're getting accepted for marketing, and you might do multiple things in that kind of marketing department. You're not just going to be oh, you're just dealing with sales to this one thing. Like unless if you're Amazon or some gigantic company, you might be able to do that. But especially for these charities, nonprofits, they're so much smaller, and I feel like that's. That's something that almost gets lost where we we look at St. Jude and yes, it's a it's a multi-billion dollar company. They raise billions of dollars every year uh, in funding uh, from all their different sources. 
But for the smaller organizations like To Write Love, I know that you guys uh, make a couple million a year. Like you guys are still, you're established and you have such brand awareness over the past 14 years. Yes, but in reality, the, the company itself is actually kind of small still, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, there aren't too many under 20, I think. So what happens in that case is you're finding yourself trying to integrate as much as you can with the, the rest of the existing team, right? So our social media team is awesome. Our graphics design team is awesome. And so now my role gets to be helping that, you know, what, what do, what's the difference between designing social media assets for our other peer-to-peer -peer fundraising projects, right? But we need to do a different type of media kit for broadcasters because broadcasters are trying to add those assets to their overlays or they're editing those assets for their own posts on social media. And so how do we make a media kit that's more useful to a content creator? Um, and as someone who's been live on Twitch before, right, I or you or anybody else can help guide that message. I mean, I think that those little bits of detail are what make uh, fundraising on live platforms really, really powerful. If you have someone, even if they're part-time or just on retainer, that can help guide other departments that already exist within the organization to more authentically cater to the live streaming platform universe, it's, it's hugely effective. And that's kind of what we do at To Write Love. So you'll notice uh, if you look at Tuloha's main Twitter account, we comment and retweet on Twitch and Mixer broadcasters a ton more than we ever used to in the past, right? It might not have been something that we did at all back in 2018, but then 2019 and 2020, we were like, okay, let's look out for these posts, right? Which content creators, whether they've worked with us or not, are tweeting about mental health today? And can we engage in that conversation with a comment or retweet it if it's really well-crafted? That kind of stuff is, is super powerful. So my role is sometimes guiding other folks that have been on the team and just integrating the message better with the Twitch environment. It's just more bang for your buck as an organization because we don't have to change anything internally. To Write Love doesn't have to do much different. You're just redirecting the effort that's already there to a wider audience. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's the versatility. It's the adaptation as well because our jobs are always evolving. I mean, uh, Maggie's yeah. our social media coordinator. She's also going to be getting involved with community stuff. She's going to be going mm -hmm. to events right. and representing that front face because between her and Ashley, we're still creators, the three of us. So people know us, people know our face, and they know our broadcast as well. But we're also representing Tiltify. And as Maggie starts to build kind of her connections with influencers and people start to identify her as Tiltify, that's just going to lead to more and more DMs, more and more questions, and more and more things that right. she has to work on too. So that's that's for her. And then for me, it's just that it's been my nightmare for the past four years. So <laughs> oh yeah, Casper works for Tiltify. Go bug him. It's like, all right, well, that's that's great. I'm very excited yeah. for that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy time. It's a crazy time for sure. Let's talk about some of these questions that we've actually gotten because oh, yeah, sure. I feel like they tie into these topics as well. And we can hop back, of course, because we still got a bit of time here. But the first question that I had has to do with To Write Love in particular. It comes from one of my viewers, actually, Alex. He asks, what's it like working for a charity that is so well known like To Write Love? Do you feel more pressure knowing that the brand itself has just grown into something so much more than just a charity about mental health? Yeah, it's 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 a on the shoulders of giants moment, right? Because for me, joining the organization later on in its history, I I don't get any of the credit for the brand awareness that's already there when I started there, and so I feel this immense pressure um, and stewardship around the brand, especially because in gaming, 
it's intimidating for not-for-profits to think that broadcasters that they may or may not know well are going live with your brand, right? Potentially on their screen. And that freaks organizations out. So how do you do that and get a brand from a PR standpoint, from a, from a marketing integrity standpoint, comfortable with that? And that's been a huge part of it. I think one of the original emails that I sent to the, to the team said something to that effect, I think, where I was like, you know, I get to now, like I recognize that I'm like sitting on the shoulders of people that have built this brand before I ever got there. It is tough, but but also there's opportunity in that, right? This is where I think content creators that want to work in the industry shortchange themselves. They don't recognize how much they know. I'll give you an example, not for profit. I won't name who they are, but they were super paranoid about content creators playing a particular genre of game while fundraising for them. Super afraid of it, right? We'll just use first person shooters as an example of it. For whatever reason, that not for profit didn't want that genre of game being played. And they were their concern was that a viewer would conflate what that broadcaster was doing with being endorsed by the brand, right? Like this person's fundraising for us. And so this not-for-profit that they're fundraising for must be okay with this type of content and helping a not-for-profit understand like, no, that's not really how the, the viewership thinks, right? That's just not how people think of the broadcaster or the brand they're fundraising for. People recognize that those are two totally independent things, but you know, not-for-profits don't necessarily know that. It's so intuitive for someone that's been on Twitch for a while, just like, well, yeah, I know that this person's independent of the charity, um, but even being there to explain that to PR functions is huge. Yeah, no, it, it's such a different world that we live in, especially yeah. with creators and just kind of Getting them used to getting the higher ups or getting the people that are so set in their ways kind of used to this new generation and what they do. Maggie, yeah. to to uh, turn that question a little bit, I mean, your work with Microsoft, did you see a similar struggle in terms of representation when it came to tweeting about Mixer or any of your initiatives over the, the year that you worked there? Definitely. Uh, you were, you represented the company. <laughs> um, if you were, if you were streaming or if you were working with them, you know, like you always had to have your best face forward. It was very interesting seeing people that I don't want to, I don't want to talk too much about the, about the mixer side of things. Cause I still have people that work there. I still know people that are there, but it was very interesting working with the company and seeing people represent or or seeing their behavior and how it reflected on the company it was it was pretty interesting there was an understanding that people weren't products of the company like streamers and content creators necessarily they were independent they didn't reflect 100% but it it was it was very interesting experience just seeing it from a corporate side that's very fair i remember when i was first brought on to tiltify and i was handling the social for the first couple of years and a big thing was well we wanted to we want to grow our awareness out there and i'm like okay well how do we do that and it's well it's talking about streamers and retweeting their stuff and going into their mm -hmm. chats and supporting their fundraisers and it's it was hard to represent a brand because it's like Tiltify was very unknown at that point. So mm -hmm. unlike To Write Love or Microsoft slash Mixer, it's like these are mega <laughs> companies that exist yes. in the charity space in just in general, whereas Tiltify is unknown. So then I had the opposite like difficulty or the same difficulty in a different way where I was representing the brand, but one screw up and the brand is gone yep. it's yep. just right it's not just your job on the line it's actually the entire company so yeah trying to tread that water is very difficult as we see on social all the time we see at least once a month we see a company that 
makes a really dumb tweet, for lack of a better term. Uh, and, you know, a risky, sudden, a risky tweet, a risky tweet, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, an edgy tweet. Right. And, uh, yeah. you know, not everyone is Wendy's. Not in fact, no one is Wendy's right. except for Wendy's. Uh-huh. Uh, exactly. And when you try to imitate that and you don't get the same result, well, then, yeah. So it's uh, it's always a. Uh, it's always an interesting thing to represent brands other than yourself and yeah. to uh, do it effectively and also in a I'm going to keep my job way. So, uh-huh. I mean, I like that personally. Okay, yeah. the, last, the last question we're going to adapt to, uh, we're going to, I'm just going to read it verbatim and then we're going to admit something very <laughs> embarrassing. Um, Julianne asks, uh, have any of you seen the movie adaptation of the story of To Write Love on Her Arms? And if so, what did you think of it? The so for those that don't know, to write love on her arms is such a powerful story that they actually did a movie adaptation of it, a drama of it, and it was an independent film in 2012. It eventually got released on DVD in 2015, and I knew about its existence. I have James. never watched it. Um, and James, have you watched? To write love on her arms? I have not. I have not seen the movie adaptation, which makes me the worst. Worst CM ever. But I have read the original story. And actually, we're going to plug Jamie's book on this because why wouldn't we? But if you go to Tuloha's website, the book is called If You Feel Too Much. And it's written by Jamie, our founder. And the original story about Renee's recovery path is in there, uh, as well as a lot of other sort of thoughts and points in Jamie's life and the organization's history from its founding to today are in there. So it's a great way to get familiar with the organization. For sure. And you know what? (laughs) By the time this episode is released, I promise that I will watch the movie. So if you want to call me out on social, feel free to do so. Kind of the last point that I wanted to end this podcast on, not so much a question, but it kind of goes back to something that James as well as Maggie have mentioned. And it's kind of the humanistic aspect of representing a brand and also getting involved with content creators, because I think that's the most important thing that we do when James was talking about providing, you know, sending some merch or sending a shirt or something like that. Showing that appreciation to a content creator is absolutely massive. The reason why I bring this up is because this was actually a conversation I had this morning when I was doing a a different discussion for a roundtable, an internal charity thing. And they asked the question, what is the most important thing for a charity to do coming into the space? And uh, many of the answers were basically get connected with them and give them a open path of communication, whether that is developing a Discord server or being responsive in your emails or being able to know what's going on in their lives because content creators are so much more than their numbers, right? And so many companies get so sucked into that when we're talking about sponsored streams and developers, publishers working with creators in order to promote their games, sure. But when it comes to a charity aspect, it's like, to borrow a phrase from St. Jude, we're proud beggars, right? We are begging for your donations. We are proud of that and we'll never be ashamed of that. But how does the charity kind of show their appreciation for that? A simple thank you is more than enough. Having having a brand name, having a big entity, having the St. Jude in particular just, you know, tweet at me, thank you so very much. Or the other day, they wished one of our staff members a happy birthday. How they knew it was her birthday, I have no idea. But they just <laughs> That's awesome. They just have their finger on the pulse to the point where they care about these creators as human beings. Last week, at the time of recording, last week, I actually suffered a concussion. It was a grade two concussion, so it wasn't super serious, but it was serious enough. And literally every single staff member at St. Jude that I knew. So that's like a dozen people. Every single one of them 
every single charity that I work with, as well as charities that I don't even work with. They all sent me an email or a text message. A couple of them have my number and they said, are you okay? You know, I know it's a crazy time, but I wanted to check in on you. And they do that regularly anyways. But in particular for this one, they were like, how's the concussion doing? Are you okay? Have you, you know, been taking care of yourself? They're like parents almost in that sense. But the point being <laughs> is that I've created a relationship with them to the point where they see me as both a creator, community manager for Tiltify, the platform they use for fundraising, as well as a human being. And I think that's just extremely important. James, any comments on that? Yeah, it comes down to authenticity, really. I think that some organizations try to approach the Mixer Twitch YouTube universe without having a dedicated, someone dedicated to it, right? Like how many, uh, we, we, all of us have gotten the generic emails that are like, hello, insert creator name here. I was watching your last VOD on whatever game that you've never even streamed, right? You're like, what is this, right? But if you're able to, uh, I just wrote one yesterday. I wanted to reach out to a YouTuber that we've never worked with. In order to write that email, I think I watched like an hour and a half of her YouTube content before writing the email to her because I kind of knew what her story was, but I didn't know all of it. And so I went back like to a two-year-old video and just learned like, like I know this person's story today, but what's her history? You know, there's a massive amount of benefit to doing that work, to being able to authentically reach out to someone and know their content well enough to really connect with them. That's huge, massive. So um, number one's that. And the other thing is that this is my pitch that every not-for-profit should be hiring a content creator or at least have one on retainer, right? Because the thing that you're going to miss is thinking about fundraising for a charitable organization from the content creator's perspective, right? Why is a content creator doing this? A lot of times it's just they have an authentic connection to the organization they don't want anything back to your point. They'd be happy to even get a thank you. But now you've set the stage for the not-for-profit organization to go above and beyond that, right? I mean, look at everything that St. Jude does. They've turned it into, they've taken a simple thank you and they've made it so much more than that, right? Because now you've got fundraising tiers and you're trying to get, you know, the top, I think it was a top 100 onesie that they did last year. Um, you know, they're partnering with endemic brands to do uh, headsets at Series this year, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so they're... You you know, not only are they surprising and delighting their content creators and giving them far more than just a thank you, but then they're also partnering with all these other endemic brands and they're further making themselves an endemic name in gaming. I mean, it's it's beautiful. The authentic approach to that is outstanding. And that's something that you can't do unless you have somebody from the industry help guiding you in that direction, right? Either uh, someone who was a content creator or is a content creator or someone who's done some form of marketing in the space. So that's huge. That's huge. So yeah, yeah. those two things. I mean, your, your point about how do you recognize people that do work for you and then trying to figure out wh what can we do as a charitable organization to, to give back to them, the people that have given us so much, right? Yeah, for sure. I think we're good, actually, for episode number five of The Joy of Fundraising. I want to thank James for coming on out and talking about all of this great stuff, a day in the life, and just trying to get out there. I'm going to ask him one final question uh, before it. I get to shout outs. What is your number one piece of advice for someone that wants to get into the industry, whether charity, whether game dev, publisher, whatever the case may be yeah. in this industry? My number one piece of advice is that I still think this happens. It happens less now. It happens on Mixer and Twitch more than I think on YouTube, but there's still this obsession with like, before I can do anything in the industry, I have to get partnered, right? I have to partner is the end all be all. I have to get the partner check mark or whatever. I'm not partnered. I've never been close to being partnered. I don't have an interest in being partnered. You don't need, you don't need that. It's an awesome achievement. And if you've achieved it, that's incredible and you should be proud of yourself. But my biggest piece of advice is understand that 
you can add tremendous value in so many different ways in the industry. And that doesn't have to be it, right? Don't don't get so hung up on that, that you're not going to send that cold email to an organization that you think you can help. I mean, that's how I got here, right? Um, is by sending that cold email and realizing that being being in front of the camera isn't my strongest suit. That's not where I add the most value, but being behind the scenes and doing strategic planning work and working with other influencers, I think I do that pretty well, right? So that's my my piece of advice to people. Think about where you can add value and don't obsess over the one track of the only way into this industry is by being a content creator. There's so there's so many other ways to add value. So keep your mind open and and uh, keep experimenting. Figure out what you're good at. Very cool. Maggie, do you have a one piece of advice on how to get into the industry? Never give up. Just keep trying. Why do you got to take my answer? Because I was going to close it out with that. And it was going to be perfect and just a nice wholesome answer. I'm so sorry. Uh, You're not sorry at all. Uh, My one piece of advice, well, I guess now I have to think of another one. But my, my, my advice, honestly, is to just keep being you. If you are someone that is passionate about what you do, because I feel like if you're a creator, you should be passionate about it. And if you're passionate about your creation, that's what happened with me. I was passionate about charity, and that's how I work with charities now. If you're passionate about gaming, maybe you are someone that's very artistic. Uh, Maybe you do have an eye for artsy things. Maybe you are a graphics designer, and you have that background, and you're passionate about that. Then reaching out, sending cold emails, but paying attention to job listings or just getting networked. Because I know that when we hired Maggie, for example... She was already like a shoe in for the position. Let's be honest. She's got the experience. She knows what she's doing. So if she applied, you know, point blank, she would have probably gotten it anyways. But she knew everyone that worked at Tiltify. We all vouch for her when we were talking about her. And just having that network connection is almost more important than your actual skill set because you'll learn and you're going to have to learn in this industry if you want to adapt and, you know, somehow run a podcast randomly even though you've never done one before <laughs> um but that is going to be it for episode number five uh james do you have any shout outs you want to give or any things you want to talk about just that anyone that's interested in working with to write love in our arms uh or if you just want to talk to me about my experience getting into the industry i'm always happy to talk to people about finding opportunities for themselves you can always email me at jinx j-i-n-k-s at twiloha.com or find me on twitter at plague tv which is the worst name ever given that we have a global pandemic going on (laughs) i've thought about changing my personal brand (laughs) but no I'm, i'm always open to talk to to talk to folks about working with to right love or finding opportunities for themselves for sure very awesome make sure you guys guys. thanks to uh thanks to tiltify too you guys have been excellent partners to us from when the organization initially got on the platform but just helping us navigate the space and and plan and brainstorm on what is what is the future of to right love on on live platforms it's been great so thanks for that of course i mean that's that's ultimately our goal we don't get a paycheck unless you guys do essentially like we want you guys to succeed so that we can succeed as well but we ultimately just want to see others succeed period that's been the entire basis of tiltify since day one where it we just want to make a difference in the world and that's honestly how they pitched the company to me and that's that's why i'm where i'm at maggie any shout outs you want to give as always everybody can find us at we are tiltify on twitter and if they have any questions or anything we have a hashtag tiltify 2020 yeah very cool make sure you guys check out future podcast episodes remember we are available on youtube of course where you can see our talking heads but you can find us on all of your podcast providers stitcher itunes apple Podcasts, all of that fun stuff you can find it all over there 
Episode number six that's coming up is actually a very special one. We brought them up eh, slightly to lean into it, but uh, episode number six of The Joy of Fundraising is actually going to be about St. Jude Play Live because this will be uh, that podcast will be released right on the first day of fundraising for the 2020 season. So we'll be talking to, I believe, Jason. If not, it's going to be Zachary Witten from St. Jude. So that's going to be a crazy conversation. Make sure you send in your questions using the hashtag Deltify2020 on Twitter, commenting on this video for future episodes as well, or just getting in touch with myself. But either way, that is it for the Joy of Fundraising episode number five. Thank you very much to James and Maggie for joining us, and we will catch you next time.